Hello and welcome to the Mystic Cast, where you join me, Jack Stafford, student of metaphysics, as I talk to a variety of guests to better understand the teachings given by the masters through the Aetherius Society, the new cosmic religion for the Aquarian Age, incorporating all yogas, Christian mysticism, theosophy, UFOs, and much, much more. Please note, this is an independent program not produced or fact-checked by the Aetherius Society. Today, my guest is the author, Sean Stowell. Hello, hello. Oh, now I can hear you. Very good, thank you. Good to uh, good to meet you. Where are you? Are you in Italy? I am. Yes. Yeah. Whereabouts in Italy? It, it's about an hour and a half south of Napoli, opposite kind of opposite the Amalfi Coast. Wow. Yeah. That's a really cool place to be. How come you're there? Um, I was going to show you a ring, but I'm not actually married. But uh, I'm. I'm as good as almost I'm, married. Yeah. I, I've got we've got an Italian child. So oh, that right, kind right. of makes me an honorary citizen in in my book. It must be nice to still be part of the EU. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a vote, but if I had, I'm pretty sure I would have voted to stay in. That was such a hassle. I had to I had to get my driving license redone. I had to do so much, so many things for that. It was a night. Yes. To yeah, total nightmare too. And turning up to be a total uh, economic disaster. Anyway, that's another story. That's so a you, lot of you, you run uh, Misty Casts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, like a, I'm a student of metaphysics. I got into it in India about, um, well, it's, it's, it's pre-COVID, so I was getting on for three years ago now and uh, four years. And yeah, I really got into the... Um, the metaphysical aspects mm. of of yoga and because i thought things like you know walking on water and um you know levitation i thought you know, like everyone i thought it was just um allegor allegories what do you call it? allegory and, yeah and, you know, like uh allegorical yeah yeah and I, I didn't really get the the science behind it but now i do understand how you know you do these you can do these practices you raise kundalini you open chakras it's it's metaphysics it's like next level physics so i'm all in I'm, right. I'm fully sold on the idea that uh that dr cannon could, you know had many abilities and uh, mm -hmm. so i was hoping to hear from you because yeah you're the number one authority on what is quite <laughs> well a... I, I mean there are a number of people who've uh, looked looked at it i mean i i i sort of looked at it from a historic uh perspective because of his role uh with uh, edward VIII. but anyway so um, is that the, the key aspect that, that you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, we'll just, you know, we just chat about it as yeah. if you're around, you know, if you're around for dinner and I don't have any, I don't have any questions. I'm just enthusiastic. So maybe yes, you could, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so for obvious question, why did you write a book about him? Well, um, my dad um, was born on, on the Isle of Man. Uh, the Isle of Man is a small island. It's in the middle of the Irish Sea. So it's um, a short distance from Ireland and a short distance from England. So it's equidistant and a fascinating place because it has its own language, its own culture. My dad spoke Manx, which is a bit like Irish. And he grew up during the Second World War. Um, the uh, British Army took over huge chunks of man. And... Um, it played a big role, a huge role, and a fairly secret role uh, during the Second World War. Um, there was a number of different aspects of the the armed forces um, and MI5, uh, Secret Service, uh, were there in sort of hefty numbers, I think, because they were looking after a place that was started to work on radar. British radar was amongst the first, and it was... It, Fascinating that my dad lived opposite this one of the first radar stations in Britain. Yeah, nowadays you'd be worried about the five G or the the radiation. Absolutely, from that. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, he mentioned that after the war, a man called Doctor Alexander Cannon came to the, came to his school to do uh, a science show, and the science show involved him appearing from behind curtains dry ice, um, dramatic music, and he would do a sort of scientific experiment. 
but he would also mix in levitation, various other things. And he he was quite old by then. He had had both, he'd lost both, both his legs because whilst he was a doctor, he didn't diagnose in himself diabetes. So he had two false legs and, you know, very sadly, but the kids didn't know that he was stumbling around because of this. And so my dad has a very strong memory of, of the kids laughing behind the hand. Um, but this amazing character um, on stage, in school, dry ice, dramatic music. And so dad told me about this as a child, but then um, one day dad's archivist friend um, wrote him an email and said that MI5 files have just come in about Dr. Cannon. So MI5 during the Second World War had been watching Dr. Cannon and so had the police. And, the, and so I then um, got copies of the files can you hear the, No, hear the, no, I don't hear anything, no. So um, I, I, I got a copy of the file and um, went through it. And it is absolutely amazing. It, it's the amazing story of um, a man claiming to levitate, a man um, claiming to do all sorts of things. Um, and he was taken seriously. He was taken very seriously by the... What I then, you know, after a few years looking at the story, can you hear the Hoover? No, no, no. It's no, 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 it's okay. Yeah. Um, after a few years looking at the story, I got, I did more and more research, and the very top of the British Armed Forces took Dr. Cannon very seriously. And there are lots of stories, as you see in my book, um, there are stories about him being. Um, uh, psychically involved in in big battles, Second World War battles, most notably in, on, off the northern coast of Norway. He claimed he was guiding the British forces when um, a one of the um, secret coding machines was discovered on a on a trawler, um, and that was a, a major breakthrough in the Second World War. And for all those reasons, Dr. Cannon is a massively fascinating character. Was that the Enigma machine then? The Enigma machine. One of them. One of the, there was a number of them. And um, this was on, the, on a trawler that had been hit by a British torpedo. And as the trawler was sinking, a British commando got on board and went through and grabbed a load of stuff randomly. And... Um, he was part of a um, commando group, a, a two or three groups, and one of them, one of those groups, not this particular group, but what, another group that was involved in an operation elsewhere in the north coast of Norway, um, was led by a guy called Commander Congreve. Now, Commander Congreve, Geoffrey Congreve, was a establishment um, ruling class English aristocrat, and he. Um, well, it was an amazing character in that he had bought into um, hook, line, and sinker Dr. Cannon's uh, beliefs and claims of levitation. You know, everything that Dr. Cannon said he believed in, apparently Jeffrey Congreve also believed. And he believed that it was possible to detect submarines and Dr. Cannon would say all of this to him and then Congreve would go to the top brass of the military and say it and it seemed it appears to me that he was taken seriously mm -hmm. so Congreve was leading one of these groups one of these commando groups in, on the north coast of Norway and um, a separate group found one of the Enigma machine code breakers so um, once they realised it took a while for them to realise what they had but it took you know it was an amazing thing for Cannon to be able to play. And uh, Commander Congreve was to Downing Street to meet Churchill, but Churchill to congratulate <laughs> And secretly, Congreve stood there saying, well, I was psychically guided by Dr. Cannon. Mm. So for all of those reasons, it is an amazing story. 
Wow. Well, I mean, it's not shouldn't be too surprising because they, I know the FBI, the CIA, they use a lot yeah. of psychics. There's, Absolutely. you know, you say the X Files. It looks people take people you writers use these stories because yeah, they make for good TV. But they are they're all based in there's an element of truth in that. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. But so it's great that you uncovered. Did you ever get to speak to somebody who, because you Doctor Cannon was dead before you ever. Mm. Ever got to speak to him? Did you speak to someone who knew him and got any first yes, hand? Yes, um, they split into, into two groups. Um, some of them t- took him very seriously, and some of them just laughed at him. And um, so I met, for instance, his secretary, who um, said things like that um, um, that he would be in one room in his castle on the Isle of Man. Um, a, a building that was known in his castle. Uh, and this woman, whose name escapes me, um, she said that he would hear a, she would hear a crash and that would be him levitating himself through walls and crashing into another room. You know what I mean? <laughs> so she, would have, she had all these stories and um, I wanted to laugh, but um, I didn't. Because she fully believed it, and she fully believed that he was a, a reincarnation uh, of King Henry VIII, and he believed it, and she believed it. But there was, you know, there was other stories. Like my dad, my dad laughed and laughed, and one of his friends, Doug Sandal, who is a, an artist um, who lives in Leeds, he has the stories about living in Douglas. Um, at, at the end of Doug's guard was one of uh, Dr. Cannon's grand houses, and he would see um, Dr. Cannon walking patients round, and they were obviously very anxious um, people who had clear psychological problems. But um, Dr. Cannon was, would walk them round and round and round and round. And, of course, that to Doug, who was then a child, would, was funny. But what... You, what I can see there is patients um, obviously paying Dr. Cannon a lot of money. Whether or not he sort of had any positive outcome, I don't know. But he certainly took over people's, you know, minds in, in perhaps a good way or a bad, day, bad way. I don't know. I do think he was way ahead of his time in terms of what he would um, prescribe for people in that um, folic acid was one main thing. The other thing was um, folic acid, which is a, a, an acid in green vegetables. Um, he believed that clean living, green vegetables were good and that you didn't have to rely on medicine. You could do yoga um, and you could breathe deeply. And you could calm yourself down. And a lot of illness was related to stress. And now, of course, he's, he's absolutely right. We, we know that to be correct. And um, back then, that was viewed as sort of out there, eccentric, um, and um, a deviant, deviant. And he was definitely a deviant. And of course, if you go around saying that you can levitate yourself over the Himalayas with your porters and servants uh, as he did in one of his books published in 1943 that was incidentally republished i think 26 times up until 1948 so um he he um had fans he found fans across the world and whilst a lot of it was a load of nonsense a major part of it was really interestingly forward thinking yeah because I heard if I'd have heard he was a bit doing healing. He was doing Yeah. He would do anything if he could I think he made a hell of a lot of money and he 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 claimed that he could heal uh with thought and with his hands and so on. Um whether or not he did achieve that, of course, is a, is, mm. is uh doubtful, I would say. But um an amazing character, very much of his time, because I think, you know, a few decades ago, people were ready to believe this stuff. Mm. Um, and I think the numbers of people who believe 
in it now are minimal or small, but at the same time, as you say, the X-Files falls on willing ears and, and willing oh. ears. Well, I'm coming from the point that it's completely believable. I, it's like, yeah. you know, Reiki, you you send down, you bring down energy into the body, you send it out mm-hmm. through your hands and, and you can heal. And it's just, um, it's metaphysics. So it's obviously, yeah. um, it's not in your everyday thing, but um, yeah, healing with the hands is, the laying on of hands is, <laughs> is uh, so, well, maybe we could go to the beginning then because um, he learned these skills, I think, he went to Tibet and India yeah. and he, he had training, so somebody trained him. He's yes. not. He didn't. He didn't. He's on the Silk be, uh... Road. He travelled the Silk Road. So what? Where did he first get? Where did he claim to get his his initiation from? He met. I think. Well, he studied. He fought in the First World War. And okay. After the First World War, um, was trained in medicine at Leeds University. So, um, I think. He had just happened to have an opportunity to travel, and he went to Vienna. He studied at Vienna. Um, I don't know how I funded it, um, whether or not his, his father funded him or not. That might have been the way he did it. But he certainly, once he got into the, this way of thinking, there was no turning back in terms of making money and being able to uh, find uh, fellow supporters. So he, he went to Vienna, he studied in, uh, the university around the time when, um, Jung and, um, Freud were very much, uh, of the moment. And he was able to, I think, combine his own, um, Christian upbringing because his father was a preacher with interesting ideas and. Uh, there was a sort of melting pot of ideas that then took him uh, to Hong Kong. So he, he, um, I think what this was back in the day. I mean, this was, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. this, this is, I mean, this it's, is swashbuckling it, stuff. No, I mean, the 1930s were very much, um, an era of new thinking, hippie thinking, you know, post first world war, there's a lot of death around and a lot of thinking about what, what is afterlife and. You know, spiritualists were beyond, yeah, spiritualism, uh, very much so. So, um, once he was in Hong Kong, he was able to travel the silk, you know, go along the silk, go along the route and find, you know, very similar. I mean, he was he was thirty years ahead of the Beatles. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's how I would su- summarize it. Um, and did very well out of it. And so when did he go after that? Did he go into Tibet? Did he, did he give, did he meet, go to a monastery? Did he do any? I don't know about the detail of that because the finals don't actually uh, tell as much. His books, they're they're probably in his books and his books I found very difficult to read because I just didn't understand the context of what I think they, they were published and republished because they were very much people wanted to um, believe it. Mm. Um, and I, I, I always struggled to read the text because they're very thick. Then they're, they're like a, uh, it's like a sort of chat with mystics and sort of various sages. Oh, they're hard to go through some of these books. Right? <laughs> so, you know what like, I mean? Have you read Madame, Blava- how... Madame Blavatsky and have you, you know, Madame Blavatsky and yes, uh, yes, I've heard, heard of her. Yeah. yeah. I've heard of her. Yeah. Heavy yeah. going, heavy, heavy going, heavy going yeah. stuff. Um, and I'm I'm not built of the correct sort of <laughs> it's um, my brain is too sort of sure, sure. Litty, yeah. uh, horses for courses. Yeah. Um so I I don't actually know the the detail I do know the detail of his movements in the nineteen thirties and forties and fifties in the UK because he was watched, you know what I mean? He was watched mm-hmm. by the Secret Service. And um um those files tell us a lot about who were his clientele and um, who was bankrolling him. There was a guy called George Drummond, Captain George Drummond, who was a really interesting character. He is an absolutely fascinating character in that he was very, very close to the royals and it is him who opened the door to Edward VIII. So, um, Edward VIII. The king, the famous, yeah. Yeah. Abdicated. uh, Abdicated for 
So we we are told for love, but I think it was for a lot of other things. He was um, sympathizer with the. Uh, he was a sympathizer which movie he was seen. with the, with the Nazi movement, but also um, had a drink problem. He wasn't the right sort of guy. He wasn't uh, landing the right women. He wasn't having you know he wasn't uh, marrying aristocratic women. He was interested in. People like Mrs. Simpson, who we are told by FBI files was sexually deviant or, you know, good at sex. I don't know how you describe it. But, um, <laughs> and she certainly caught him and um, mm. he was willing to be caught and willing to give up the throne for lots of other reasons. And I go into, in, in the book, you know, I put a number of, pieces of the jigsaw together and it it is clear from files from um a tape uh that was made in the in the 1980s of an old man who was involved in the in the black shirt the nazi movement in england in the 1930s the verdict was that dr cannon our dr cannon was used as a lever to propel edward the eighth from the throne so he was a good guy on the good side, or the yeah, I think he was he was used um, as a um, uh, by the British establishment to get rid of Edward VIII, and there were one of a number of levers, and whether or not, whether or not obviously uh, the key lever was Mr. Simpson, hmm. but it took the Prime Minister and the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, a lot of lobbying of Edward, telling him that he he wasn't the right person for the throne, and that um, that that the um, British monarchy was close to God, and that if there was dysfunction within that monarchy, dysfunction of a number of kinds, which uh, you know, alcohol, uh, hanging out with the wrong women, um, not having the right sort of uh, the right sort of marriage mm -hmm. um, that that um, the british monarchy couldn't stand for mm -hmm. uh, over a month they uh, used a number of people who were within the sort of the uh, they, they were sort of outliers of the monarchy they were the private secretaries and the the prince's private secretary the archbishop's private secretary the editor of the times newspaper were all in on the plot, and the just by a stroke of luck, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury got to hear about Edward VIII being treated by a quack, in their words, Doctor Cannon, for um, alcoholic problems and other problems. So um, it was at that point that. They were able to communicate with each other and probably tell Edward VIII himself that they're aware that really he's talking to Quack. Mm. He must be mad. He must be this. He must be that. And I think that played a role yeah, in satirizing Edward VIII into saying, okay, I give up. Because he would have known that being a Nazi supporter, a supporter of Hitler, was not. <laughs> Condone. Yeah. <laughs> Even though there were a large number of aristocrats who believed or were sympathetic at the very least. Blood ties and to the yeah, aristocracy. Yeah. yeah. But this was I was trying to think which movie I saw um uh where the about this king it wasn't the king's speech, was it? It was another one about the abdication and Yeah. I don't mention any of this. I mean this is really this seems Yeah, to... but it's 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 um it's another airbrushed layer, out. You know. yeah, airbrushed out. Yeah, it's a, it's it's airbrushed out, or or it was for a long time. It's only in recent years that we've got to hear to understand the scale of what we're talking about. Because um, during one thing that I picked up in my research, can you hear the dog Max? Come sit down again. So, <laughs> and in my research. I read a book by Stephen Durrell, who is an amazing academic, um, who has got the details about the extent to which uh, the aristocrats 
supported the Nazi movement. Mm-hmm. And um, Oswald Mosley, who was a key fascist at Blackshin, was apparently during the, in the night before Edward VIII finally said, um, I'm off. And Oswald Mosley was driving round, drumming up support in the belief that if Edward VIII actually stayed, he mm. would point Oswald Mosley as prime minister. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, all these things you don't, you don't get to hear as no, no. history is written. It, 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 it's also uh, true to say that the black shirts were standing outside Downing Street, Downing Street, shouting one, two, three, four. You know, they had a rant and they wanted to get rid of Baldwin and install um, Oswald Mosley. Uh-huh. And Edward VIII would have been uh, a supporter of that. Sheesh, how could have? So mm-hmm. if, if you have the sudden, that suddenly you find out that a mystic occultist, Dr. Cannon, is treating Edward VIII, you use that as, uh-huh. as a paper. You yeah. say, hold on a minute, he's, he's not. He's, he's lost his marbles. And that, crucially, um, what was his name? The editor of the Times at the time had, had, shown it, had, had made it clear that he was willing to, to publish an article. So he didn't need to publish an article about Dr. Cannon because Edward had gone. Had he stayed, then... Um, um, the the editor of the Times would have published the story. Gosh, yeah, it was all there. It was all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, Doctor Cannon's role would have become much more evident had Edward stayed a couple of more days. That was his threat of blackmail. To... Yeah. Wow. Could have. Yeah. This it could, should be a movie. No, this could be. Uh... Absolutely, it should. And uh, yeah. you know, I've. <laughs> I've I've often thought of it of of turning my book into a podcast. I've got, I've got more research coming. Yeah, let's do it. Let's um, do a lot. Oh, yeah. I've got access to a file. I'm just waiting for the government, the culture secretary, to release a file because the circle at Dr. Cannon's circle goes expands beyond what what I thought was was the sort of outer limit, and the. Extent to which uh, the royal family in on the outside outskirts of this circle is is amazing. So what happened? Oh, I'm not a fan of the royal family. I have to say, I'd say <laughs> they they yeah, always they have their place, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, but so what did he fall out of favour then, or what, what happened? Because he's obviously well, Doctor Cannon um, didn't fall out of favour because he did exactly or helped. Exactly the process that they wanted. Oh, is it part of the plan? Edward VIII had gone. So, um, you know, it was a case of patting him on the back. Had anyone patted him on the back um, and said very quietly to him, well, well done, Alge. Yes. Yes. Go back to the Well done, Al boy. You, you helped, your presence help was, you know, helpful. Mm. Even if he probably didn't realise he probably didn't understand the role. He was probably had. genuinely helping the king. Because what, what had happened just 10 days before um, Edward VIII stood down, a woman in Suffolk um, in a village called I, E-Y-E, um, got in touch with uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury's office and said, are you aware that um, someone who called Dr. Alexander Cannon is claiming he's treating Edward VIII? And so... Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury did a bit of research and found that she was actually right. She was she was correct, um, and so that hence the Archbishop was was able to use that as blackmail. So Edward the uh, uh, Doctor Cannon may not have known quite what about the the role that he played, but he certainly um, kept himself close to the establishment because um he had a clinic on Holly Street and through the oh, clinic well. on Holly oh. Street he was he was treating the rich and famous. Mm. So when it came to the Second World War starting, um Dr. Cannon moved to the Isle of Man, but following him close by was Captain George Drummond, who was um he had owned Drummond's bank. 
Drummond's bank was the royal family's bank. Wow. So if you look on the internet, there was a couple of photos of Queen Elizabeth's, a check signed by Queen Elizabeth, and it's Drummond's bank. Captain George Drummond was close friends with George VI and Edward VIII and uh, Elizabeth as well. So he was in, uh, he had owned a house called Pittsford Hall because a long story short, uh, police or MI5 called round to Drummond's house to tell him that he, he had a choice of either going to prison or moving to the Isle of Man to be exiled because oh. um, of his support for the Nazi movement or Germany. Let's say the German government as Drummond perceived it at the time. So that, Drummond had to move all over Alexander. So Cannon had moved to the Isle of Man to get away from the bombs to preserve his oh, kid, yes. Harley Street Kid right. Clinic separately. The man who I think bankrolled Dr. Khan because George Drummond was a big fan of what Dr. Khan was doing. The man who bankrolled him, George Drummond, happened to be also a supporter of uh, fascism, mm. uh, economic Nazism. He didn't, he wasn't, he was an anti Semite, but didn't believe in. Mass murder. Right. Um, so he disappeared off to the Isle of Man. And the two, Drummond and Cannon, were very closely linked. And I think um, Cannon was made rich through the aristocratic contacts and business that Drummond was able to supply him. Mm. So what, uh, through those contacts, Cannon then went on to set up a clinic which was attended by the top brass of the military. And this brings me to what I was starting out at the start of the story. People like uh, Commander Congreve, who was a commando, SAS commando, you know, the origins of the SAS and James Bond. Um, Fleming was in, this, was in the same sort of cohort, <laughs> Ian Fleming. And um, so that is how Dr. Cannon then in, in, inveigled his way into the British military. Wow. And it, <laughs> it, it, it was the cassette tape that was made in the, in the mid-1980s of the black shirts, well-connected black shirts that were then old men who said that Dr. Cannon, far from being... Um, persona non grata for his role in the um, Edward VIII uh, debacle. He was then embraced by the British military. And uh, it, you know, it was people like Dr. Cannon um, that were um, fostered by Commander Congreve, who was very himself very close to Churchill, as was Drummond. Drummond was very, Drummond, George Drummond, anchor. Not only was he close to the royals, but he went to school with Winston Churchill. So, <laughs> you know, you, you have this real mm. proximity, close proximity, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And having written the book, I often think to myself, am I mad? <laughs> Did I dream? You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, it's um, remarkable in how little it's picked up. Possibly because, I, you know, the book is, I don't know, perhaps a little bit disorganized in the way I've written it. There's a bit all over the place because this, you know, as explaining the story. It's a lot of information like, to get It's a lot yeah. of different oh, connections. Yeah, yeah. And I think my brain is a bit too <laughs> scattery. You can't see tell it in the room. Uh, you'll sort it out in the screenplay. But even just telling it now, I think to myself, is that right? Yeah. And it is yeah. absolutely right. You know what I mean? Well, it's not too, I mean, you know, we, all these people go to school together, same in America, don't yeah, they? All, you know, and they're moving from the corporate world to the, you know, they go to the, they send their yeah. kids to the same most expensive schools in the country. So, you know, yeah. it's, and, you know, they're all going to these islands to do different things. And, yes. you know, it's, it's, it doesn't take much, much of a, of a, there's not much of a leap in the imagination to, but it's so interesting that, cause I'm taking it from this perspective of that, 
you know, it's definitely the psychic abilities are, you know, definitely innate in all of us. Right. And, and that, you know, I mean, you know, levitation, for example, you is told, I, I remember one story from uh, a, guy, a master was, someone was going with, going in Tibet and they were with their master and they met a man who had learned to walk on water. And uh, it took him 10 years of, you have to purify the nadis, you have to do a lot of pranayama, a lot of mantra, you have to have yeah. very good concentration. And uh, it, it, they demonstrated it and the master said, well, well done, you've saved yourself a penny for the ferry, you know, you've wasted your mm. time though, you could have been doing healing or that. Mm. So it, it can yeah, be I done, mean, you know. Sounds It sounds much like something that, um, sorry, something that, uh, Dr. Khan would, would have uh, experienced. Yeah. And so the, um, said he would have experienced. And then I, I'm a member of the Ethereum Society, which is a spiritual organization in London. And, and Dr. King, the, the founder, he, he prayed so hard sometimes, you know, he levitated. He had left all brill cream because he had brill cream on his head, marks across the roof, across his ceiling. Mm. And mm. the landlady had to come in and whitewash the ceiling. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, well, there's many anecdotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can see on YouTube some monks levitating too. Just yes. So yeah. yeah, it's just a matter of it's just metaphysics. It's just you know beyond mm -hmm. our understanding because we're you know not able to do it. So it's easy to dismiss things that we can't do. So, mm -hmm. but uh, and psychic abilities like you know if you can project astral astral projection, if you can leave the body and you can walk around. Um, Commander Congre was very much. Um, into that, he uh, would exercise with Joyce Deronda. Mm. Now, um, the Deronda sisters were—they were Doctor Cannon's assistants. And Joyce Deronda, yeah, I mean, they were both in their twenties. They were sisters, and they were called Eleanor, Eleanor and Joyce Robson. But when they came to work for Dr. Cannon, they changed their names and um, they changed their names to Rhonda de Rhonda and Joyce de Rhonda. That Joyce sounds like a group. Was, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sounds like a 70s yeah, Abba tribute. <laughs> um, and uh, um, Joyce was a young, attractive woman who uh, worked at the clinic on the Isle of Man and then uh, Commander Congreve was many of the you know, there was loads of top brass in the military that arrived to stay, to have rest and to learn from Dr. Cannon. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it is really amazing to yeah. think top brass. These people don't waste their time. I mean, you can even laugh at them, them and say they were. was an airstrip, <laughs> you know, so RF Aerodrome was at the end of his garden so they could learn mm. and then go and stay at what must have been the best and most exotic clinic available because you know if you if you go to the north coast of the album and look at Banamal castle it's really exotic palm trees and imagine oh, yeah. the deronda sisters looking after you you know i mean the cooking mm -hmm. food was all sorts of gossip that my grandma picked up about what would happen at Banamal castle sexually mm -hmm. but also uh because of the Grand food available, or, or gossip that there were Nazis, that they were Nazi supporters, and of course with people like Drummond hanging around, the gossip was was very loud. Mm. Um, and they the the gossip was that um, German submarines would gather around the north coast of the Adamman to receive signals, because of course the Adamman was a prison camp as well. So really. There was thousands of German prisoners uh, in, in, interned in guest houses and hotels in the Isle of Man. But also there was the 18, 18B in, internees. So the 18B people were people interned because of their politics. So they were black shirts. They were Nazi supporters. And so in a place called Peel, which was fishing port, um, uh, on the north coast, uh, sort of, sorry, the west coast of Elman, um, there was a specific 18B camp, and Dr. Cannon was used to um, 
um, according to John Gaster, the man who, the old man, the old man black shirt who made the cassette tape in the 1980s, John Gaster said that uh, Cannon was used to vet the 18B people, to talk to them and to suss them out. And so uh, gossip got around and it was said that the 18B people were communicating with submarines, mm. German submarines <laughs> off the coast of the Alabama. So um, it, it's amazing, you know, the stories yeah. that were very... You don't know what to believe then. I mean, you know, hey? I'm not saying I don't know whose side he was Absolutely. on. Absolutely. It, yeah. it is very, so, very difficult. And um, I think there are elements of truth in it. Mm. I think what has got to, what has yet to be established is, is, is uh, the support for Dr. Cannon. It was mm. clearly a, a huge amount of support. For well, him. in the end, they, methods, it, what he was it, investigating. Yeah. But um, to get back to the original point, Joyce de Ronda had an affair with Commander Congrit. And from his diary, which I read in the National Archives Q, his diary shows that they had sex and they would talk in terms of astral projection. And the sex and the success of astral projection were two very much in, interconnected things, which you can imagine, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds a bit, bit of the dark side to me. I mean, because when you when you raise Kundalini, the first chakra that opens is the sex chakra. So, and every if you, so you we're there to gain control of Kundalini. So if you dispense the energy, if you fail the test, you know you ejaculate or have you're losing the you're. Right. spending a huge amount of psychic energy so it's all about retaining and and abstaining and yeah. not even so i mean i know that uh you know that a lot of the, the dark side do a lot of that stuff on but i think the true if you want you know if you do, it's about control of the body is here to mm. if you want to you know leave the physical body you need to have control of the, the physical body first you need to be perfectly still it's you know you've got you've got to be immobile so it's kind of they're kind of contradictory i mean immobile sex is not so but um, yeah, so I, I, but as a not as a yogi, I can't really comment. But does uh, mm. they do sound a bit contradictory? But I mean, imagine if you can project, and I've heard this from like, you know, in, in ancient scriptures, you know, the you know the old battles, the the enemy could project into the headquarters of enemy camp, you know, listen to the meetings, and then report back. So imagine if you could. It would be enticing for the top brass to think. Imagine if, because. I don't know how many people have had, I think it's one in 10 people these days have had a, an out of body experience. You know, you've kind of woken mm. up and you've been out of your body. Have you ever had that experience? Or? Yeah. Where, yeah, where I've, well, only in terms of dreaming. I, I thought someone was um, in the house when I was in the house on my own and I couldn't move. But I, I that's quite common, isn't it? That where you think that you can hear someone walking around downstairs but you're just dreaming it. And I have had that experience where, but I think other people are, you know, talk to other people. I don't think that's rare, not rare. That you're over, you're out of your body and you look down on yourself. Some people have had that. No, no, just the fact that I'm aware that I'm dreaming. It's it's a lot yeah. more simple than that. I've never had anything, uh, an out of body. Okay. But I think many people have, and, and yeah. these are kind of spontaneous things. And But when you do, don't when you've had training, like you've been to Tibet or one of the mystery schools, then... You can you can leave the body at will, and that's real freedom. You know, you can you can go to other realms. You can travel on this realm. There, there, therein lies real. Uh, that's you know, you're on the footsteps of real ability. Then, and you know, psychic. You can see people's auras, so you could tell if they're telling the truth and things like that. And you can, you know, psychic you can read mm. people's minds. So these are, you know, these are these are kind of basic psychic abilities that yes. that, that, that yogis develop. So if if Dr. Cannon had done these pure these practices and was, you know, it's it's obviously, you know, he, he's not a fraudster in that respect. I mean, he, he wouldn't get the top brass and all those people to come and and people would set it up. If these people are not, I mean, you you say, oh, he's easy to beat. These people could be conned and that with light shows and, and uh, you know, dry ice. But at the end of the day, 
everyone go everyone trusts their own experiences you and i and you know they don't even trust their friends advice you know everyone only trusts what i've seen with my own eyes so they must have had enough to prove to them that mm. you know he was a real deal so mm. interesting i mean yeah it is uh you know we are very much science-based now much more than we were and you know the willingness to believe in this sort of thing is is much less common now but i think back in the you know even when i was a kid in the 70s um there was uh, a much greater gray area in the public psyche than there is now mm -hmm. and um if you look at the uh, yeah the films and books and the you know, popular tv it really shows that there was a much greater willingness to believe in this stuff. Well, and if you look at Netflix now, every other show is something, you know, some... Yeah, it is. It is, absolutely. Yeah. Some crazy it school is. where students are getting psych amazing abilities or yeah. Yeah. there's ghosts or there's, you know, people are... Yeah. So, yeah, and it, it, mm. anecdotal evidence of UFOs as well is another big area and, you know, so many sightings and and... It's, you know, if you just accumulate, if that was, if there was evidence for something based on human mm. observation, I mean, yeah, so I'm, I'm fully paid up. I mean, I'm, I know you're a skeptic, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, there's enough yeah. evidence for me, you know, in terms of yeah, parallels between everything and mm. so, but, uh, have you had experiences? Have you, did, would you say that you've had? experiences no it's just enough for me the the logic the the argument you know because i'm studying with a, a metaphysical teacher who can you know who's doing mantra since he was three years old and so he he grew up in a yogic family in america and he can do you know just the way people explain it you know that mm. in, in a non he's not in on the tv or anything like that he's just a you know a very quiet guy but yeah it's they don't they don't kind of promote it too much the real people just because yeah. it's just a lot to deal with you know the who wants to talk to skeptics really because if you if you're talking to a skeptic it's usually someone who's kind of comfortable in the world they they've got all the answers they don't need they don't need an explanation on anything else you know it's yeah. like you know pyramids were built 4000 years ago by men with chisels and hammers and yeah shit that that's yeah, exactly. So, it, that's the way it was. We don't need to question unanswered questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm got enough to enough to be personally satisfied. I'm not out to convince people, but uh, no, no. And I speak to enough people on this show who have, you know, have their own abilities, and um, yeah, and I think and I feel lucky enough to be in the Ethereum Society, which is from Doctor George King. I'm actually trying to remember how. I have first heard of Dr. Alexander Cannon. I'm not sure. I think it was in a lecture from Dr. King, but I haven't been able to find it. So that's right. the one thing, because how did I hear about him, you know? Yeah, it, he's he's very much not on the radar, on the no, popular radar. There was some lecture I heard him about, and I, I'm trying to find it. It was frustrating for me. Because he's, he's, I mean, um, when my dad first met my mum, we ended up, uh, I ended up growing up in... Uh, Liverpool, but um, when Dad and Mum were sort of young, a young couple in Southport, they, he went to the library, and Dad said that Southport Library was full of Dr. Callan's books. Really? Yeah, and so it, you know, it, it was he, he he was obviously very well known decades ago. Mm. I think people obviously disappear into the. So yeah, it's, it's time. It's and um, also yeah. because of the writing. I mean, those esoteric, you know, esoteric writings from a hundred years ago are, are not legible to us. You know, I can't. No, just, I, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I found very dense texts and yeah. just didn't. I really tried hard, but I just couldn't. I struggle with Dickens. You know, sorry, <laughs> Shakespeare, yes. Shakespeare. Forget yeah. about it. Same I think. Yeah. I think anyone I was like the back of the class. Uh, you know. Anyone like Shakespeare, they're just kind of faking it and pretending yeah, they yeah. like that. I don't understand. I don't no idea what they're going on about. So, <laughs> mum uh, loves Shakespeare and quotes it now and again, man. Yeah, they're just on an intellectual <laughs> level above 
<laughs> above you and so, I. So. Yeah. But no, I mean, going back to Dr. Uh, Dr. Cannon, I mean, we won the war, the British, you and I, we weren't there, but uh, the British won the war. Mm. So he did, you know, you can argue that, you know, if he wanted to be, he wanted to bring, if he was against it, what is your personal opinion? Was he a force for good or a force for? I think um, he would have done good for the people who believed in him. I think um, for those who were patients, I think, you know, if Edward, say, take, for example, Edward VIII, he did have a drink problem. He did yeah. smoke too much. Yeah. And those two things are known to create sexual dysfunction. And Philip Ziegler, who was a royal biographer, I did an interview with him and he said um, that the sexual dysfunction thing would, would have been a big issue for Edward mm. because he drank and smoked so much. So right, um, yeah. for those people like Edward VIII, who will have suffered problems like that, because obviously, I mean, my dad's, my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, they all smoked and they all looked by the time they were 50, like they'd been hippered in a factory. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, those were bad cigarettes in those days as well. Those yeah, were really heavy duty cigarettes. Yeah. And so um, in that regard, because he... Um, pushed for clean living and eating well and sleeping well and deep breathing, he, he probably did do a lot of good because mm -hmm. no one else was doing it. Well, I'm sure other people were doing it, but, mm. um, you know, if, if, if he, he will have had a big um, impact if people stuck to what he said. Mm. And so when someone has a big impact like that, you do believe them. You, you go, yeah, God. He's right, especially if they're a voice in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, especially. Yeah. Uh, many of these doctors, they don't take care of themselves, though. I've met some really great doctors, and they they don't take, even take their own advice or their own medicine. So maybe that's, yeah, you know. It's he, so true. Because I he developed diabetes. A, uh, specialist the other day, and he looked like he drank a bottle of red wine every night. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Smoking great. outside the hospital door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happened? So. Doctor, he, he kind of, he kind of. I mean, how did he go from that to to school school performances? I mean, I think he just um, he was past his sell by date. You know, the end of the Second World War. He would, you know, he would he would have had to have fallen back onto his clientele, his rich clientele that were no longer as dependent as they were because the First World War had come and gone. People had grieved, and I think mm, mm. in the 1930s, people needed someone like Dr. Cannon to talk positivity and ethereal stuff to help them through the huge numbers of people suffering huge grief. And the Second World War came and went, and people, again, suffering grief. By the sort of 1950s, when my dad was at school, in the middle 1950s, that function that he had was dissipating and the sort of um, the media world that we're now in was starting to lay roots. And so someone like Cannon would have been laughed at by the school children. And yeah. he was eccentric and he did have, he did fall over because he, you know, terrible diabetes mm. and happened to, lose both his legs so someone making claims someone like that just would have been he was and the way dad talked about him when i was a kid was that he was a laughing stock he was an amazing laughing stock who talked about connections with the royal family but actually those connections with the royal family turned out to be true which is amazing maybe that's why they cut him off and just kind of yeah. you know retired him because he knew too much or he just... Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can really see that. And also... Uh, and know, people... Also, he... Because the Isle of Man was a, a, a popular holiday um, uh, destination, um, there was people who... I can't remember his name. He was a magic 
performer um, who I quote in the book, who lived opposite my dad, Percy, called Percy. Percy um, was a sort of seaside showman who would do all sorts of tricks and people either took it seriously or laughed at him. And mm -hmm. of course, Percy was, um, he, Percy is the one who said to me, um, Dr. Cannon was a great man, but he was up to all sorts and he would make all sorts of claims. And I don't know why you're looking at him because he would claim that he was mates with George the sixth and he was of all sorts up to all sorts. And I thought, well, right. Okay. Um, but there was so much gossip, so many things that connected him to the world and it all turned out to be true. But Percy, uh, because of Cannon claiming connections with the Royals, it, everybody just laughed at him because why would someone like him have connections with the Royal family? And Cannon would, would of course keep his powder dry by not saying, actually, I can prove it because he didn't. Well, he should have shut up about it in the first place, but all these people, <laughs> all these people are human, you know, he probably, you know, you don't know what his childhood was like, his need for attention and yeah, whatever. I'm, I can't, I'm not even, I haven't, I can't judge anyone. I'm not, but I'm just saying, you know, you think these people, oh, because you have a certain psychic ability, it you means you're suddenly as your intelligence goes up and your consciousness, sometimes you're still, you can still be a, you can still act like a schmuck and make mm. stupid mistakes and, and mm. get sick and have fall from grace. You know, because you haven't learned the lessons, you know, you're not, you've not really graduated onto the next classroom. You know, it's really to get out of the, our existence yes, yeah, is, is tough, you know? So yeah, but it's certainly a fascinating story. It is, it is, yeah. I, you know, it's a, it's a shame we, we can't actually interview him, but some of his, you know, he, uh, some, I've got tapes, real to real tapes in, in my wardrobe in the bedroom and he talks like this and blah, blah, blah. and uh, you know i can see why people laughed at him. yeah mm. because um and he he would do he would his basically his thoughts about life and whatever go on and on and on and on and he'll he'll have crashes of symbols in the back mm. and um this whiny violin music in the background and yeah, and he should even, have even shot even up in the 1950s, <laughs> people would have said enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter how devoted they were. But Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was also into the legal Yeah, the secretary who I spoke to, she would type. So she would arrive at work. He would pay her a handsome wage, and he would just sit and talk, and she would type. So she he would talk about levitating across the Himalayas and being up in the clouds with his servants and, and she would type it up and she believed every word, mm. absolutely every word. Wow. Maybe you should talk to a medium to try and get his voice to mm. get him to come through. You could, <laughs> That's an idea. You know, maybe you should That's embrace both sides of the, mm. you know, the story yeah. because yeah, <laughs> worth a shot. Interesting journey. Interesting yeah. Journey. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Sean. I really had a great time chatting to you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been good talking to you. Really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So you, the next I'm thing is a... jealous of the fact that you live in Italy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereabouts are you? Whereabouts are you? Coordinate you. Okay. That's not too. That's nice. Yeah. The weather's a bit. Uh... A lovely place. Lovely place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from uh, yeah, I'm from Lincolnshire and, and Suffolk. Oh yeah. Yeah, but uh... whereabouts are you from in Lincolnshire? Um, I was born in in Lincoln, but then I moved to Suffolk when I was uh, Barris and Edmonds when I was about eleven. Heard of I. Yeah, oh yeah, I should cycle to it. Yeah, Did you? very close by. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Donald Ray, R E N. Is there anyone that you can think of with a down there called Ray? No, no. He was the vicar, the local vicar who spoke to a woman who raised the alarm about Dr. Cannon and his contact with Ed, Edmund VIII. Mm -hmm. no. No. Anyway. No, but so what's next? Are you going to work on us? I want a... to um, find out what's in these files that I'm waiting for the culture secretary, Michelle Donlan, to release. I think I don't think she will, but I think part of the answers that that uh, you know about the proximity of Dr. Cannon's clinic 
Well, no, actually, they, 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 these files wouldn't, wouldn't answer, but they certainly throw more light into the, onto the status of the people who are mm. 18B internees on the Isle of Man. And then that would tell us a lot more about um, the importance of Dr. Cannon and the role of Dr. Cannon, because mm. these files would show us, would shine a big light into there. And I don't know why the British government won't release them. It's com to me, it's completely... Yeah, there be something there. Everyone involved will have been, will, it's long dead. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, yeah. All right. I mean, so, but it's called the book's called the King Psychic, and people can yeah. get it on Amazon, some of the Kindle. Yes. It's on uh, all good booksellers. Yeah. Well, it's I, I think it's sold out in the in in the shop, but it, it's certainly still available on Amazon. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. All right. Nice talking to you. Take care, all mate. All the best. Cheers, bye -bye. Jim. Bye -bye. See you.